In this episode, we talked to David Aronica, the head of growth marketing at Yellow Brick Data, a Series C tech company backed by some really big investors. We talk about some really tactical things, like how they figure out the right messaging for each persona that they're selling into, how they're actually using their tech stack across Zoom Info, Apollo, Outreach, and some other tools. And we get into the best money they spent on their marketing team so far this year. The last thing before we get into the episode, if you get just a little bit of value from this, the best way that you can pay it forward and help us build this thing from the ground up is to share it with a friend that you think might enjoy it or just liking the video on YouTube, subscribing to the channel or subscribing to us on Spotify or Apple or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. We're trying to bring you the most candid stories and tactics from some of the world's best marketing leaders. And the only way that we can keep doing that is with your support. All right, let's get into the episode. Today, we are joined by David Aronica, a dear friend of mine that is also the head of growth marketing at Yellowbrick Data, a Series C company that is backed by the likes of Google Ventures, DFJ, Menlo Ventures. Prior to that, he was the VP of growth at Pliancy, enterprise IT services company. Before that, he was the director of BD at Splash, which is backed by LHV and Spark, along some other startup roles as well. David, how's it going? Good. Good to be here. Good to see you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dive into things today. I think you have a particularly unique background because you have, you carried a bag as a sales rep, you've been a BDR, you've managed BDR teams, and now you manage a marketing team. So yeah. I think that's a really good place to start. I mean, in terms of your unique background, how do you think that gives you an edge as a marketing leader? Yeah, I think like marketing was always something I was interested in, even when I was starting out as an SDR. Um, I love back whenever that was like, I thought that I would eventually move into marketing, but I always found myself working uh, or like wanting to spend time with the marketing teams that I was uh, working with. Even back when I was at a company called Parsley, that was um, an audience analytics platform built for uh, publishers, like content producers. Um, and uh, because of that, I think I even as like, and as an SDR and then in, in managing SDRs, um, I was always thinking about how we could incorporate the work that the marketing team was doing was almost reverse from what I'm doing now. And now that I've kind of made this transition into being on this side of the go-to-market function, um, I try to think about the usability of everything that we produce from a marketing perspective. I think that's something that a lot of times gets overlooked or is something that's like left to like a sales enablement function if your company is fortunate enough to have that. And I think having been an SDR, having... Uh, manage SDRs, uh, taking that extra care to make sure that any content that we're producing has the clarity of communication that people know what to do with it and how to use it. I think that has been one of the uh, key advantages of having that. Let's talk about that a little bit more. So is there kind of like an example or story where of something you guys have maybe produced recently on the marketing side that you really went through and thought, hey, how is the sales team actually going to use this and kind of what those results were? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we all see in these like persona slides, right? Or maybe it's a document and it's like, these are the motive. This is what motivates these people is what their pain points they may be feeling and so forth. We're trying to basically make our best guess, right? And uh, understand who our buyers may be or who the users of our products may be. And when you hand that over and it's like this huge slide of just like, a lot of text and maybe you like put a picture there to try to make it a little bit more humanized, right? Um, when ultimately 
it's just too much to consume. And so I think we've started to take things like that and boil it down. It's just, these are the key things that actually, the key messages that matters to these people. So if you get them on the phone, instead of looking at this thing or looking at the slide, you know exactly that if I can work this into a conversation, uh, I might have a better chance of actually connecting uh, this to some kind of business value or pain point that that person might be feeling. Um, so I guess just like try to make everything that we create more concise and this don't take chances with will the team know how to use this, but be very prescriptive basically. And this is how we think you should use it. And then to kind of do that as a, I'm always taking feedback from them too, to understand what could we do better? Uh, is this useful? And so forth. So, right. Your credibility as a sales leader in the past helps you, helps you think through this stuff for your sales team in particular, um, but also like you, I'm just, it sounds like you're reaching across the aisle probably more than most marketing leaders to get the feedback from the sales team and try to like put yourself in their shoes. I mean, that may, that may be true. I think most marketing leaders today, when I think you doing that, and I may be, and I think that it's always been, or it seems second nature to me. I mean, I think like it, there's a lot of people that have said this like, way before me, but it's like the entire idea of marketing is to make sales easier. And so if that's really the case, and they are customers in a lot of way, and if what we're producing is that useful for them, or is that even useful for them, well, we're just not making our customers happy. So I think that that is my opinion today, is in making sure what we're doing is useful. But yeah, I mean, I also have the, you know, today I work very closely with uh, someone who I've worked with in the past, who was our VP of sales at Splash, named Mark Fields, who's now the SVP of sales at Yellowbrick. So having that relationship built in is a huge advantage, right? Like him and I have uh, worked together now for oh, for almost four and a half years, probably total in our career, uh, maybe even slightly more. And so because of that, we have uh, we can have really honest conversations. Uh, we're including each other in conversations that maybe you don't usually have a marketer in or a sales leader in. Um, and I think that's been really useful for both of us. Yeah, I think having having that relationship right with the sales leadership is super important, particularly on the marketing side. So, are you getting? Let, let's actually let's back up for a second. In your role right now, who are you overseeing? Who's on your team? Yeah, so right now the team is uh, we have a team of SDRs, and they report to a director of our SDR team. And then there's two product marketers. There is, uh, and then I also manage someone through remote uh, growth partners, as you know, and uh, at the agency as well. So we're kind of pieced together, combination of full-time employees, uh, and that includes SDRs and product marketers, and contractors, and agency. So we've answered the age-old question, who should SDRs report to? They should report to <laughs> a marketing leader that has sales experience. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think like that's the, like the actual answer to that question is like that. I think that was a convenience that we had, right? Um, I don't think there's like a right perfect fit in any organization. I think it's something comes down to like who knows how to manage those kind of teams, uh, whether they have the experience or not, but who uh, sees the value that they bring in the business, I guess is the best way to put it, and then can champion them and give them the resources they need to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. The, and so, so then you got the SDRs, you've got product marketing, you do have yeah. marketing generals to us who I know is doing all sorts of different task work and yeah. email cadences and things like that. Um, 
as the audits. Um, yep. But I guess, so now that we kind of have that background on the structure, um, how are you, this this persona project, I think is a really good thing to, to dig into a bit, bit more. So right, as you're trying to figure out the language that is going to resonate with the different personas, what are you doing? Like, are you are you interviewing the sales team? Are you listening to customer calls? Like, walk us through what you're actually doing on the ground so people can learn how they might be able to figure out this messaging for themselves. Yeah, for sure. So we are, um, yeah, this is a great way because we're kind of like right in the middle of this right now. Um, it's a combination of two things. One, it's listening to customer calls that are with uh, some of like what we believe are the right titles for this persona. I think one of the really difficult things about this situation that we're in is that it's really more of a responsibility than a title, right? I think that's important. It's like the persona of um, of that what we're exploring isn't necessarily always met with the same title at every company. And so understanding what all the range of those titles can be has been like one of the pieces of the puzzle that we're figuring out. So to do that, we're trying to be, we're listening to customer calls with that hypothesis of titles. When some of them are just like the titles that are pretty obvious. And then other ones that were still like, all right, these seem like they still might be the people that have uh, this set of responsibilities. Um, there are fortunately, then we're going and looking at a lot of companies that are ready sell into that persona and understanding how they are marketing to them. Um, doing a lot of uh, research on Stack Overflow and on Reddit, uh, getting into specific channels to read and learn how people in these roles are actually talking about the problems that they're having, listening to podcasts that are, uh, built for for people in that in that world, and uh, following a lot of new accounts uh, across kind of like all my social platforms as well. Um, and then very importantly, like I am maybe this comes from some of the SDR background. Just just reaching out directly to people um, is another element of what we're doing now. And I think um, like you can't be afraid to kind of do that work on your own. Um, I think a lot of like marketing leaders, maybe it's like too far removed from their job to to go and actually hit people up on LinkedIn or they probably don't even know how to use something like outreach maybe. Um, I'm still plugged in to those systems, right? So I can put, uh, I'm doing a different type of outreach. These aren't necessarily sales leads, but I'm still hitting people up uh, cold to also understand directly from them, which has been hit or miss, right? And they don't know me, do they necessarily have reason to help me out because I'm, straight up like hey can you help me understand some more you and what you do uh and what, what's it been that's falling what's what's your messaging so when you're reaching out to some of these potential stakeholders and yeah. personas what's the what's your messaging like to them it's along the lines of hey you know i saw if they if they had posted something or did something around the topic you know, it's really awesome what you're doing with XYZ. Um, my company started to see some traction working with people who are doing X and Y. Um, if you'd be open to connecting, uh, I would love to pick your brain. If not, you know, um, very pretty policy, trying to like be upfront about, you know, wanting to ask them for feedback or want to pick their brain on something um, and doing so in kind of a take it or leave it way. Not a, not as many maybe a follow up says that might have done. And generally, when I'm doing now, I mean, if I'm really not hearing back, like offering some kind of donation to a charity or something, um, I think so a lot of people will. Or, yeah, I mean, not a lot. Some people have been very forthcoming and and being willing to help. It's a little easier when it's coming through like a warm connection. 
Um, and then I think people are pretty responsive to the charity offer. Um, I think more so than like, hey, can I send you a pair of AirPods or something, which while AirPods aren't cheap, I think that feels cheap in a way uh, where you can do something where like any charity of your choice is a little bit more meaningful for your time, which is really nice. Got so so you're offering to donate to a charity of their choice for for their time, and I agree, right? Like, I I don't love when someone's like, "Hey, if you take an intro call with us, we will send you AirPods or a mug or whatever." Um, I think right, it's it's too tricky. They have the It's like the incentives yeah. are wrong, right? And the incentives are wrong from the beginning. Um, well, that people can feel good about what they're doing, right? I mean, if I'm going to spend thirty minutes with you, um, I really care about this thing. Cool. Like, let me make a donation in your name and do that. Um, and that's time well spent for them rather than, uh, you know, feeling just some like material exchange. Yeah. Yeah. And at right, you're, you're asking for, the, for some advice, trying to be open about it, more passive than if you're you were an SDR, right? You're not putting them through like a, sure. a seven step sequence with yeah. calls and <laughs> yeah, alligator gifts at the end of it. Yeah. Um, okay. That's, that's awesome. The, and I think the, the other thing you touched on that was really fascinating and a great way to explain it is that the persona is about their responsibility, not their title. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also like really hard when you start to like build lists. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think um, especially with some like more like emerging uh, roles or you know, roles that have emerged over the past few years, platform engineering, for example, like where that was uh, maybe stemmed from what was like DevOps at a company before um, and is now being really, it's like a different, totally different set of responsibilities. Uh, however, like not people in those roles don't always have those titles, right? And I was just reading something today actually around, you know, X percent of people who actually have this responsibility even have the title platform in their name, in their, or the, the word platform in their title, right? And so I think because of that, and I think that's just an example of, of what, right? I think in a lot of ways, especially like maybe even more so today when um, like what does growth marketing mean to a lot of people too, right? I think that's, yeah, that's my title and that can be a series of things. Um, anyway, I think that, yeah, it's about trying to figure out uh, who is actually responsible for whatever it is your, pla- your product is, uh, you, whatever you think your product can do to help the, that business, right? And tying into that business outcome that that person should be impacting. Uh, less so than the titles. That gets really hard when it comes to like targeting, right? Or even if you're doing like advertising and you're on you know, LinkedIn and you're trying to boil that down to these types of people, uh, that can be really difficult, right? Um, certainly if you're building leads lists for like an SDR team, again, like they don't, you maybe they don't know exactly how am I supposed to figure out who the right person is? And so it's experimenting a lot of the time and then trying to arm them with the right questions to ask and the right kind of research and content to say, um, you know, who may be responsible for this thing and then giving them just options to, to try to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, let me ask you, just going back to your team a little bit more. So, sure. right. You've got the SDRs, director of SDRs, the generalists through us that we know, but, um, product marketing, like what is, help me understand their responsibility set and how that kind of coincides with what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, um, I mean, our product marketing, our product marketers are very hands-on. I mean, they're they're on sales, they're on calls with our sales team as well. I mean, they're not like um, solutions engineers in any way, but they're very much 
there to make sure that the way that we're positioning it and everything that we're hearing from the market live, uh, we're putting that back into the way that we're positioning ourselves outside of those calls. Um, so everything from the way that we position ourselves uh, as a as a product, how we position the feature set that we have and tie that to business outcomes that, uh, that, that our customers are seeing. So it's a lot of research on what our customers are doing, helping translate that into what we think a broader market uh, will be able to use Yellowbrick uh, and apply it to their business from a, a data warehouse perspective. Um, and so that's kind of like the gist of it is you're making, just really always creating uh, and kind of iterating on the way that we position ourselves. And, you know, they're doing that through uh, updating our all the content on our website, creating blog series, um, interviewing customers, working with our product team and our engineering team. Um, so they're kind of, you know, sit across the business um, and they spend a lot of time speaking with people in our market to make sure that we're validating what we're doing and not just kind of like sitting in a room thinking, hey, this sounds cool or this is a, you know, interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what's keeping you up at night? What are the things that are, are kind of sitting in the back of your mind or things that are biggest priority for you this year? Um, I don't think that we've cracked it, right? Like I think with Yellowbird, like we still are trying to figure out the best way to position um, ourselves in a market that is ever evolving because we have a series of different ways that we believe that we can position the way um, that our customers are, are getting value from us. And what keeps me up is that like, are we communicating too much? Are we communicating enough? Are we communicating the right things? And are we creating any kind of experience that is enabling people to figure out that we are a good solution for them, right? I think I spent a lot of time maybe doing second guessing, like, is this the uh, right way to uh, position ourselves for this this persona, this target, we're creating this? And especially when there's just so many different players in this ecosystem, um, I think it's easy to want to try to like figure out how to compete with everybody and I think that is actually really dangerous instead of just focusing on what we think are really our strengths. So I think finding that balance is definitely has been some sleepless nights of like thinking about something and way overthinking something. But uh, you can always iterate and experiment. And I think we kind of have that mindset at, as a team now that like it doesn't need to be the last time we update something. You know? Yeah, I I can relate. I two nights ago I had a very sleepless night and there was a, like a few things about our messaging that popped up in my head. I was like, wait a minute, is that how we're sending those emails? Does that- this make sense at all? Right. And I'm like, I'm torn in that moment to between rolling over and jotting a note down on my phone so I don't forget it for, for tomorrow. But that then like uncorking the bottle and me going on this deep rabbit hole of not being able to go back to sleep. You'll never go back to sleep. Cut the snake off. I go back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't. And I, I lost that battle the other night. Let me, <laughs> let, let me ask you this. So what is the best money that you guys have spent on marketing this year? Um, I think this is going to be, it's going to be tough to do this without a, just a straight out plug for RGP. Um, I think in some of the ways like we have experienced some of the, um, 
you know, unfortunate events of the a market slowdown, and I've had to make some cuts on the team that we have at Yellow Brick. And um, because of that, we kind of forced ourselves to think about how we could be more efficient as a team. I think everyone's feeling this, right? How could we do uh, maybe not like more with less? Because I think that's pretty impossible. But I think that we're trying to figure out how do we do at least what we were doing and maybe even what we were doing slightly better with less or more efficiently. And one of the ways that we're doing that is we just looked at every, we're just really clear about everything that we're trying to do, right? And when we were reshaping the team over the past couple, you know, the past few months, um, yeah, I reached out to you and I tried to figure out what we could do with uh, utilizing a, a contractor. And that has saved our team a tremendous amount of uh, time and resources in a, in a much, in a, you know, very resource constrained environment. And that has basically allowed us to focus on some of the other things that I'm talking about uh, right now, because without having um, some of the things that you have to be doing, right? Like who's creating social posts, who's, who's you know, making sure those are actually getting posted and um, making sure that managing our marketing automation system and making sure that even like the pipes of like our, we, how these are coming through uh, and, and being routed out, right? Like all of that has to still, like those systems still need to stay on even when there's three people on your team, right? And everybody wants to be speaking with customers and there's a looming repositioning of how we think about ourselves. So I would say some of the best money that we spend is tied to just some of the um, work that we've decided to outsource instead of keeping in-house and making sure that the work that we are doing in-house is really tied to um, not just like, tactics but very much focused on our strategy because we can outsource a lot of the tactics once we figure out exactly what those are going to be and i think what we know that we need the experience get the expertise that that would i guess like make it worth it to have someone in-house that's the kind of work that we're trying to make sure that we do keep uh within within our team and as working for yellow brick full time um so i think we've just figured out a way to balance uh that type of work which is still i think something we're getting better at and um yeah i mean this is a pretty shameless plug so i think you know you can edit this as this is fairly to you know to, to fit your audience oh we're we're not gonna edit this at all this was i didn't know that was gonna be your answer but i'm really happy that it was um i i think and i i i think right you're recognizing too that there are some there's lots of task level work that needs to be done in any organization yeah. no matter what size and the sooner you can get that off your plate and onto someone else's, the sooner you can focus on potentially bigger things or more impactful things. And that's right. With Anne, uh, with you guys, uh, right? Like she's she's gone above and beyond some of the things that I thought she was gonna be able yeah. to do. And, and I know you've had some of the same feedback, but there, there was one thing that you had mentioned to me actually that I thought was really insightful that I didn't expect to hear from customers where you had said, that in the past, right, when you had some of this task work to delegate, you might feel guilty giving it to one of the more like, say, senior level IC members of your team. So what ends yeah. up happening that you do it yourself. I would do it, right? yeah. It ends up being like the worst scenario because you're the most expensive resource and then you're doing the lowest level work. So yeah, for sure. I know that's been a really good outlet for you, but how has that kind of changed your mindset on kind of the economic trade-offs of delegation yeah i think it's like just being 
tie that back to like, is this the most important work that I can be doing today? Because I think in a lot of ways, it's like you could make that argument in so many different ways, right? Well, someone has to do it. Uh, well, if I don't outsource, you know, delegate this to X team member, if I do uh, delegate this to the other team member, that they can't do these things. And so I'll just work more, right? But then am I going to be tired tomorrow? Am I not going to be in the best place to that meeting that I need to have with our COO later, right? And so I think that just came with a little bit of like maturity, maybe. Now, like I didn't necessarily need to be like, it wasn't about like the hours that I was putting in, but like the quality of the work that I was that I was the uh, producing. And I think when you're focused on the quality of the work, then you have to like reserve your what's in your gas tank for the things that when you need to hit the pedal, I guess metaphor, right? Um, and so when you think about it that way, like it became at least for me, it's slightly easier to say, all right, I just need to make sure that these tasks are offloaded. And I think having um, someone who's in a contractor capacity that is specifically hired to do task-oriented type of work made that considerably easier um, because I'm not constantly worried about like uh, development and like, hey, are we going to have like a promotion for this person? Are they learning enough? I think like it's really actually hard because I'm thinking about that anyway all the time, um, and just like I'm still always creating a good employee experience. I think that's critical no matter what, regardless of the level of the person, if they're in your organization as a full time or contractor. Um, but having that relationship has made it really easier to have really clear communication about this is exactly what needs to get done and what uh, that timeline is, and. Maybe I'll learn from that for their full-time employees as well. Because I wonder if like that's actually necessary. <laughs> you know, that that it was like that that's a distinction between people that are contractors full-time. Yeah. And maybe I gotta think about that more. Yeah. It's a there it's a it's a constant battle, right? And you have to ruthlessly prioritize. Yeah. And there's never like a I I there's there's never like a totally correct answer. You try to do your best, but I think my kind of rule of thumb is Hey, if I've been able to do this thing multiple times myself, then I should be able to figure out how to delegate to someone else. Uh, assuming yeah. it doesn't require like my particular expertise. And yeah, I can do it. yeah, absolutely. And there is an element of that, like lead Let run the front front mentality too, right? Like I'm going to ask someone to do a series of things. Like I should be willing to do that as well. And I think that there, that's like very, very valid, right? I think like there's elements of that that should be um, acknowledged and recognized. Like, and there's always times when like you just have to get something done, period. And I'm not gonna necessarily like, wait around for someone to like someone else to do something, certainly. So um, I think it's just a balance that's like. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um let me ask you this. So we're I think we'll we'll talk a bit more here about internal marketing, because I know that's something yeah. that you've had a lot of experience with in kind of communication game planning and things like that. Yeah. But as like the pre segue to that. I'm I'm curious when you are particularly like you guys have to get ready for a board meeting, right? Or some big executive meeting. What's your typical process from the marketing standpoint? What are you going yeah. to? What are you gathering? How are you presenting it? Yeah, I'm not I'm not presenting to the board in my current role at Yellow Brick, but I can talk about preparing for executive uh, meetings at, at my last role. And I think one of the things that um, I try 
to always do, especially if I'm going to be presenting something that I know is where like I'm the head of whatever this is, if it's a project or a new initiative, or I'm trying to get a decision uh, in this meeting is to be one, I generally will go do my best to communicate with everybody beforehand so that no one in that meeting is taken off, is like taken off guard by what I'm about to present. And that takes time and also means preparing well ahead of time, means scheduling a lot of meetings um, to make sure that you have time for one-on-one -on -one feedback from people before you get them in a room. This was something that I think, you know, I learned from, from Mark years ago. Uh, in terms of like, if you really want to get something done in these group settings, making sure that you're prepared. I mean, and in those conversations, I'm always upfront with people like, you don't need to agree with something I'm, you know, putting out there right now. And let's have this conversation as a group so that there is that ability to, for all of us to kind of disagree or uh, understand like or poke holes in something publicly because I think that's really important instead of just in these one-on-one -on -one conversations. And then it's like, cool, like we already settled that before the meeting. That's not the purpose. But it does help people prepare their thoughts, prepare their questions so that they don't feel like, well, I didn't really have it. And this is really important. I didn't have time to think about this. And I think with an executive, a healthy executive leadership meeting, um, either that's done by like preparing notes or preparing a presentation and sending that ahead of time if you don't have time to um, to, to meet with everybody one on one. And depending on kind of like what it is and the weight of what that holds, I think you got to figure out how necessary to to do that. Um, but I think that that is really critical in terms of gathering feedback ahead of time and then creating this space for people to feel comfortable having a conversation about what might be a really difficult topic, right? Um, because I think it takes time for different people with different personalities or different backgrounds to process information, right? And we as a team, especially at Pliancy, tried to create an environment where we were very uh, honest. And we tried to have, make sure that we were getting everybody's opinions to get to the best outcome. And sometimes those are really uh, passionate conversations. And with my personality, I know that I can overtake conversations a lot. And so I think that, that was another piece of like in these leadership meetings, making sure that not letting my uh, passion, again, I guess, for something silence other people that may still be processing something and making sure that there's space for people to be able to share their opinions and their perspectives or else we just were not going to get to the best outcome um so i think that answered your question or maybe i went a little tangent i think no definitely i think there's i think the the intention that you go about internal communication is really important i i mean you in particular i think you, you do a really good job with that and i think yes the you are the there there is a really big importance of trying to give people a heads up i think two you basically have two sides of the spectrum often with this you have someone yeah. that wants to like totally follow the rules and like separation of church and state and only communicate things like at the the moment in time and then you have other people that play by no rules and they're like pretty loose with it and they'll just tell anyone anything yeah. whenever they, they speak with them and I think, right, like, when in doubt... You've got to have a balance. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, you do need to have that balance. And it's like, treat people like humans. And you, you actually yeah. told me this, and it was about prospecting, but I think it applies to basically everything in life, and particularly in business, is just be relentlessly human. Because yeah. that's that's going to be throughout everything that you do. Right. I think that that is like, especially when you're having difficult conversations or, you know, if you're coming 
out of like a uh if you're coming out of like a, a layoff or something right and uh you're now communicating with the rest of the team that is there um that's a really hard one right because there's certain things you're simply not going to say or your lawyers tell you like you really should not say these things and you're trying to balance being human while also your responsibility as a, a leader at that company to not say the wrong thing or or you know put a, a, in too much information about someone personally right and so i think that balancing act of like how and when to communicate and what's communicate is like really really hard and i think internal communications is the hardest thing about leadership and certainly about implementing strategy you can have a great strategy and i think that will get you that so like you'll probably win a lot but um having a really being able to communicate that strategy really effectively and having a culture and implementing a culture of how you communicate those things through your company i think is is critical and i learned that really you know over the course of my career but very much at clients i mean that was um i had the ability to work with someone uh clay hernandez who was our director of communications there and she is just an absolute master uh when it comes to well all things brand but also employee communications as well and learning from her and understanding her perspective on how to do that in a really strategic way uh, definitely changed my career. And and just the, I don't think I recognized the importance of that uh, and thought that, all right, well, as long as we have really good go to market and really good uh, tactics, like we can, we can win, right? We'll grow. Uh, but it's your internal team and how you communicate with them. If everyone's not on board, then it's not, you're not going to be successful. Yeah, our our words matter, right? What we say carries weight. Yeah, and I think one thing that I've always found helpful when I know that I'm going to have a difficult conversation with someone on my team, whether it's termination, a performance issue, whatever it is, is to actually role play that beforehand with someone. Yeah, on the for phone. sure. Because no matter what, you're probably going to get a little nervous during that moment. But yeah, what you don't know until you do it, what until you, you don't. You don't understand the tonality and the nuance that you have to have there until you actually say it out loud. So even if you're reading like yes. a script, that's cool to have, but actually forcing yourself to say the words out loud to someone else helps immensely. I, I role play everything. I mean, I think that comes from the sales background, but I mean, I, Marcus, who was the CEO of Blinding, him and I would spend hours and hours and hours preparing for uh all hands or any kind of internal presentation that we were doing or even you know a lot of that it was also sales conversations or customer conversations or if he was going on a podcast i mean we were obsessive maybe about the way that we were communicating there and i think that was uh that was incredibly intentional honestly and so we role played a ton it's a huge part of how we also work with our sales team which i think is is you know obvious but I think there's so many applications for role playing that uh, that most companies or most leaders don't take advantage. Yeah, um, let's uh, let's move on to a couple other things here. Is there yeah. just like a, a pure tactic um, standpoint? Any what's the favorite tool that you're using right now on the market or sales side? Favorite tool. I don't know if I have a favorite tool that we're using. Ghost TechSack is like pretty straightforward right now because we frankly have like slimmed down a lot of what we were using. I mean, we have a pretty 
awesome rev awesome machine in terms of how we but it's it's already classic tools that people are using right zoom info and apollo um and then you know we're we're putting that through outreach and into Orin. um and so we're doing things that i don't think are like incredibly innovative from a tech stack perspective i think the most important thing that we're doing is comes in how we're using tools uh within there like lead to signal the lists in the segment the way that we're organizing call lists for our SDRs, which is really specific that to the role of the role level. And then that gives us reporting on the back end down to what list we were calling, who when we were calling them. And when we are we're really able to like fine tune our machine, understand exactly how many leads they're heading out on any given week or month. So I'd say it's less about like a specific tool, but some of the way that we've orchestrated those tools over the past, uh, you know, year or so, uh, has is I'm really proud of, and RevOps team is really fantastic as well. On on that ring lead piece for a second, any key insights or like meaningful changes you guys made once you started to get some of that data out there based on. Um, the segmentation yeah i mean we we've changed we've we stopped going after certain uh segments we've honed in on who our icp is we understand how different personas convert further down funnel uh we know that if we don't have a certain persona after x amount of uh calls now where that's a discovery call or after a demo that we know and can be more uh clear with our sales team about what we think we need to do to move opportunities down funnel along as well so I think it's not just about what we, the insights we get from top of funnel of like what's converting from a cold call to a, uh, to, to someone like to, to learn more or take a discovery call, but then what is actually happening down funnel when we are able to categorize everybody in our CRM by these segments and also, and I think that's, and also like one messaging got them to that point as well. Um, and so I think we're kind of using that in a series of different ways. Yeah. Let's, let's. I don't have a tech stack nearly that big, but I know a lot of people do. And I think hearing stuff like that and how you might be using certain tools, particularly Ringling in this case for the segmentation, right? To figure out where people should be spending their time and ultimately improve close rates is really cool. Um, let me ask you a little bit more about your professional circle, right? Uh, sure. You and I have known each other for a long time, but you've been in the startup world and built a pretty good network yourself. Who are, particularly now that, that you've been you probably joined the leadership and executive ranks in your last uh, last couple of roles. Who are the people that are closest to you in your professional circle? It's a really good question. Um, professional circle. I think it's interesting because some of these people have become really good friends of mine as well. You know, I I think that you're one of the people for sure. That's that we I mean we spend a lot of time together, right? Um, yeah, then. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, that outcome maybe of just being working together closely through RGP, but even before that in previous roles as well. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, there's people that I, you always go to for advice from a professional perspective. Uh, one of them is a longtime mentor of mine, Sasaka Adipadu, who, um, runs a company called Launch Source. And I, him and I have been, uh, friends for, for probably close to 10 years. And he's someone who I always am, am. Uh, going to for either any any kind of advice, but he's also become again a really good friend of mine. Uh, Jordan Wan, a closer IPU, is another person that I'm. Uh, if there's something that I'm weighing, if it's a decision, 
uh, usually leaning into like the career side of things. He's he's absolutely someone who I go to. Amy Holtzman, uh, who is the CMO at Check, and her and I worked together uh, at Splash, where she was the VP of marketing, and I was on the on the uh, running the demand program, the BDR team over there, um, as well as some of the previous you know CEOs and companies I worked for as well. I mean, Marcus Olson, who's the CEO of Pliancy, is someone who. Um, you know, him and I got incredibly close in a short period of time and Patricio Pace uh, over there as well. And so, um, you know, Sashin Kamdar from Parsley, him and I, you know, chat less these days, but is always someone who I think about when I'm making some kind of career decision, as well as even John Levitt as well, who I think is still at Parsley today. So um, it's probably like a commonality of people that were either my direct bosses or I worked extremely close with that I built, uh, that I just had a ton of respect for and kind of like looked up to, and then try to be intentional about staying in touch with them. And um, maybe it's like my need to constantly talk things out, which is definitely a character trait of mine that like leads me to call people to, to think through something. It's probably the extrovert part of it as well. Like I think better when I'm speaking about something. Um, but yeah. Those are a bunch of names, uh, and I'm sure I'm I'm forgetting people. I hope I didn't forget anybody too. Uh, too obvious. Well, it's not it's not like a big speech, but I think the yeah what's what's <laughs> kind of cool to hear about that is there's a, a variety of different backgrounds of the folks that that you're close with, but yeah, I think what you've probably done a pretty exceptional job of, or maybe some happenstance, is you kind of always had really good bosses and managers, and I think yeah that right as people are coming a career the manager can make the role so much yeah. different and i think you've been in a good spot where you've had some some really good managers throughout your career yeah and i want to say that like i've been lucky but i think like it's not, like i don't know if it's luck right like i think it's intentional about choosing positions that you think you're going to be good based on that right i think like that's probably some really early advice was like choose the manager not necessarily the company and i think um i mean i'm working now again i mean mark and i are our counterpart i think the interesting thing is like because mark and i are counterparts but he was my boss for uh, a long time it's like uh you know we have like you know our coo is constantly like you know he wants to hear my opinion but i'm like we should really talk to mark right like we should, we should go and get his uh input on this what i think is critical and we work extremely well as as in this team role that we're in together now uh, but it's like uh, he'll always be my boss right i mean i'll, I'll always kind of look up to him in that way um but yeah i have been fortunate enough to have some really amazing bosses and uh more managers and and that i think is critical yeah and i think if it is some of it's luck but also right like you now have that sensitivity ingrained into you of really caring about who that manager is going to be. And I think that's yeah. really good advice for, for anyone that's on the, the job hunt right now. Sure. All right, let me, last question I like to, to ask people is what is one lesson or piece of advice that you think about almost every day? Um, so I think something that was um really an interesting, like maybe like turning point from a career perspective, the first time working directly for a CEO was that, was that fine and um, with that came like probably the most ambiguous job that I was doing, right? Like it was a the, the job was strategy and growth. Like that is probably the most ambiguous type that you could possibly have. 
And I was really working incredibly closely with with the CEO on a daily basis. Um, yeah, like I had like direct responsibilities. Like our sales team rolled up to me, the communications team rolled up to me. And then like we had a project management team that also rolled in and that was kind of like the strategy piece. But there was so much like ambiguous directive, right? And I was working with an executive coach at the time and I was at this point where I was like very, very frustrated by the lack of clarity on what my role was and what I was supposed to be doing. And the way that she helped me work through this was getting comfortable with that ambiguity and making that clarity for myself. And I think that was the first time where I wasn't being given such crystal clear, uh, either like I had a number and as long as I was hitting that number, I had a lot of, you know, uh, ability to figure out how to get there. Right. But I still had this thing that I was like, driving towards and i knew that if i did this and i was doing well right um and this was the first time in my career and i didn't have this like crystal clear objective and i think that was incredibly difficult but she really helped me figure out that you're not going to get that and as you rise in these companies and as you get into the leadership role like it's going to become more ambiguous and being comfortable with that ambiguity is the only way you're going to stay at that level and the only way you're going to be able to perform at that level and so instead of presenting that as a problem i would start to think about it as an opportunity and it changed the way i communicated especially with our with with the ceo and with our executive team of instead of you can't just be bring problems to the table right you have to bring solutions and make creating that solution is critical at least it doesn't have to be right and you might not have all of the ideas and it might be a combination of things that you're piecing together based on a series of conversations that you're having with uh, your peers or people or your people that work for you or people that report to. Uh, but you've got to at least try to be creating solutions all the time or else like leave that company, right? I mean, and that was where it came to. It was like, if you're not gonna, if this is not gonna work out, then like stop, there's nothing, there's no one else who's gonna change this for you at this point, right? Like you have to basically accept either the position that you're in and then make the most of it and try to improve it or leave. That is not why I left. By the way, like I, I love that was probably the the best part of my career. I mean, love Yellow Break and all the companies I've worked with, but Pliancy was just an unbelievable team and and love that organization and and the, everybody that I worked with there. Uh, this was you know that did not tie to to that directly, but um, I think that's important. You have to make that decision to to stay and then be part of the solution. Yeah, it's you know it's funny. This is actually something I think about all the time and I used to tell other people a lot is if you are just bringing up problems without suggesting a solution you're just complaining and and you're, really- you're going to become toxic right um, and like be frustrated with things right like that's fine like there's always a time and place for that um, but figure it out and especially when you get into a leadership role like well you can't really be talking shit with it your team and with your employees at that point, because the buck stops with you. So I think that's just a level of maturity too. That's really necessary as you, uh, rise into three organizations that I learned. I mean, I was first time in that level at that company at, at Pliancy. And, um, fortunately they supported me with an executive coach who really helped me progress through that period. Um, and, uh, yeah. Let me, let me ask you real quick on the executive coach thing. What yeah. was the biggest impact that coach made on your career? 
I think that I became a better communicator. I think that I learned um, how to communicate more concisely and what the and the importance of communicating more around the why we were doing things as a leader and leaving room for for uh, creativity in terms of how we will do something or or even what we will do to accomplish that. Um, she took an approach where she interviewed everyone that I worked with very closely and was able to extract some of my weaknesses that I don't think I would have found on my own. Or maybe I knew were there, but like didn't think were like huge problems. I think uh, one of those was around recognizing that, okay, maybe I do sound very competent when I'm speaking about things and that could actually be silencing other people that maybe are not as passionate about something or aren't as willing to speak up in a group setting. And that helped me realize that, okay, I'm not, I'm hurting in the company if I'm doing that in a way that is not allowing uh, space for other people's perspectives to be brought into a conversation. And so I think that um, looking at the way I was communicating from a different lens and being more thoughtful about my communication uh, and, and, and understanding the importance of some of the words that I was choosing, um, I think she helped me in, in all those areas. That's awesome. I think that maybe even myself, like never quite know what an executive coach is, what they're doing, what like what they're there for. As I've thought about getting some some one-on-one coaching myself, I still haven't pulled that trigger yet. But it's like professional therapy, because... right? Right, exactly. And in, in some ways, I mean, it was a little more hand, depending on well, your therapist, but a little more hands on. But, uh, but, I, but yeah. it's good. It's it's good to have someone outside of your manager and your significant other to talk to this stuff about. So yeah, and the interesting thing about that was that she was working with a few of us, and so um, you know, it was she had a good perspective of what we were doing and a lot of the problems that we were having, and she was able to kind of work with us in a way that she actually understood in a lot of ways um she knew us pretty well through that and i'm not sure that i would like recommend that or not right i think like that was an approach that we took it, it was useful for us but uh some people might be like that's crazy that they that more than you know that multiple uh people of the same leadership team had the same person i mean it was it was a i'm not sure if that's best practice yeah awesome well I think that that wraps us for the most part. Where can tell real quick, what should people know about yellow brick and where can they find you and or the company? Yeah. I mean, you can find us at yellowbrick.com. Um, you know, yellow brick is a data warehouse that goes across on-premises solutions, cloud solutions, hybrid solutions. And we really can help customers, uh, regardless of where they are in their entire data life cycle or, or customer, uh, company life cycle. So we've got a really unique, um, position where we've got products uh, and a work and you know that can really appeal to a lot of different types of customers um, and so you can check us out and I am on LinkedIn a lot uh, so that's a good place to, to find me um, yeah I'd say that's probably the best way to get in touch awesome well thank you so much for, for sharing your stories and, and some of your advice today it was super helpful uh, and I think people get a lot of value from you. awesome well good to see you Jason See ya.